This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, awesomes. It's Meg. With conversations about racial justice and racial reconciliation taking center stage in the United States right now, I thought it was the perfect time for us to revisit a conversation that I got to have with race educator Crystal Coburn back in March of 2018. That was episode 135, How to Chat with Your Girlfriends About Race. In that episode, Crystal brought her warm and compassionate wisdom about how to start conversations about race to us, the awesomes. When Crystal and I had this conversation in 2018, she was preparing to launch a new company called Your Brave Box with a mission to help empower people to feel brave in conversations about race. Since that time, Crystal has incorporated all of her work onto her website, crystalcobran.com. Crystal offers a ton of resources for talking about race with your friends and in corporate settings, including a 100% free audio training created by her for you. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation I got to have with Crystal in 2018. It's more relevant than ever. And I hope you'll check out Crystal's work. She is truly awesome. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for a few more podcast episodes that might help you along your journey to understanding more about how to navigate conversations around race. And now let's revisit my chat with Crystal about how to chat with your girlfriends about race. Okay, awesomes. I am so excited to welcome today Crystal Cobran. She is here to help us all have a better understanding how to start and have better conversations with our friends and our families about race. So Crystal, first of all, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That was a wonderful introduction. (laughs) Well, I cannot wait to hear. First of all, I'm so curious about just your story. Start at the beginning. Tell us where you came from, (laughs) grew up, schooling, all of those things. What has shaped you into the person that you've become and where you are in launching this new company that we're going to talk about in just a minute? Okay. All right. So where do I start? I am from nowhere. So I was actually born in the United States. I lived in Maryland till I was nine years old. When I was nine, I moved to Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. I lived there from nine to 16. When I was 16, I moved to Lake City, Florida, then to Ocala, Florida. Then I lived in Gainesville, Florida. I went to University of Florida undergrad, go Gators. <laughs> we have lots of I... Florida <laughs> listeners, so I know that they are so excited to hear this. Go Gators. <laughs> I moved out to Williamsburg, Virginia, where... I earned my master's degree and I started my law degree, moved to the D.C. area, finished up my law degree at the George Washington University Law School. I got married. That's why I moved. And then worked as a law clerk in the D.C. Superior Court, moved down to Chapel Hill for my husband's postdoc, then moved to Athens, Georgia. Wow. Once he was hired as a tenure track professor at UGA. And so I am from nowhere. And everywhere a little bit too. <laughs> and, everywhere. <laughs> and everywhere. But the unexpected perk of being from nowhere is that I have many cultures floating in my head. Mm. So it's been a very unexpected asset in learning how to connect with anyone from anywhere at any time. And it's actually been a gift that I didn't realize I was getting as I was going along. My educational background, I went to University of Florida undergrads. I was pre-med for three years. And now I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ended up going to law school. Okay. Uh, getting my master of public policy. And I passed the bar in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Worked as a judicial law clerk. I think I mentioned that. And then I ended up teaching courses on race and the law at the ah. University of Georgia undergraduate courses. Okay. And I built these courses from scratch. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to figure out 
how to help a classroom filled with people of all different backgrounds, political perspectives, genders, be able to have connections, conversations about race that connect. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I had to figure out in that classroom how to allow the conversation, the dialogue, not to be about me and my stuff. Right. And so the classroom is really the place where it sort of bringing, started bringing everything together, where I started figuring out how to carve out space for people to have conversations about race, teach by asking questions. I don't lecture. Mm-hmm. And so it's very interactive. There's no secret hidden agenda. Right. And I let my students know up front that I don't have all the answers and I don't expect them to either. So these are yeah. undergraduates, is that right? Undergrads, yeah. Okay, these so are. probably mostly 18 to 21-year-olds, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, maybe a little older than 18 by the time they get to a race in the law yeah. course. <laughs> I'm so curious if in asking questions and listening to responses and listening to questions and just having these conversations with collegiate undergrads, did you start to pick up on sort of like general themes? Like mm-hmm. a lot of times kids will ask this question or a lot mm-hmm. of times, I shouldn't say kids, students will bring, Mm -hmm. you know, this baggage or this background and you kind of started to maybe hear some of these main things kind Mm -hmm. of coming to the surface over and over. You know, I think we have a lot of the same fears. Mm. And I have to say, I give my students so much credit because it was that experience in the classroom and their feedback that triggered my awareness that this was an actual need and made me aware that people and businesses and organizations could really benefit from having conversations about race that connect, that aren't shame-based or this is what you should do based, but really centered on connection. So I have to give my students full credit for that. And they are incredibly capable humans. Mm. And so the fears that they share are very similar to the fears that I hear my clients share when we talk one-on-one or when a business contacts me and they're interested in bringing me in. And one of the biggest fears is I'm terrified I'm going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Oh gosh. I so just that's got, a huge one. I got chills all over mm-hmm. because I <laughs> myself have experienced that, but I've both said that out loud, but I've also not said things out loud because I'm so afraid. Oh gosh. I just, you know, I don't want to offend mm-hmm. and I also don't want to appear ignorant, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. Oh mm-hmm. gosh. That really hit me. I get mm-hmm. that. Those are big ones. Those are big, big ones. That is not just you. I think that's something that just about all of us share. Hmm. The other one is I'm afraid I'll be misunderstood. I don't want to put hmm. my foot in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Very connected to I'll say the wrong thing, but you know, I, if I say something, then what if it comes across the wrong way? Ah, uh, yes. You know, what if I don't want to come across like I'm, you know, an accidental racist? Mm. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I maybe I shouldn't say anything at all. Very mm-hmm. much like what you just said. Mm-hmm. I think another fear that we often don't put words to we're afraid of being judged. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We're afraid of being judged and then not just being judged, but being judged and then frozen in time. You know, you mentioned off the call that you happen to have little ones and I do too. Almost as if I have a two and a three-year-old. So almost as if my three-year-old says something now. And then when she's 33, I'm judging her as if she still thinks the thing that she thought when she was three. Mm. And so there's right. fear. Mm-hmm. But if we say something out loud in the world, and we're just, we're trying to figure out what we think and how we feel, but we say the wrong thing. We're going to be forever labeled and typecast as thinking that way and feeling that way. And then having all of the assumptions and attributes that go along with feeling that way, just sort of stuck to us forever. And I think that there's a lot of fear. So a big part of my job, and I apologize to your listeners, I've had the flu, so I have to do some clearing on my throat. Ugh, no worries. No worries at all. So I, thank you. I think a part of my job, a big, big part of it, is creating safety. That really is, honestly, that's the bulk of my gig in the classroom and when I work with clients. Because the topic of race is so fraught with tension and fear, and that fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of being misunderstood, fear of putting our foot in our mouth, fear of being judged, fear of being labeled, that without that environment of safety, it's almost impossible for us to connect. Right, yes. And so that was is probably the biggest part of my responsibility is really connecting with my clients and my students in the moment and letting it be about them. Because we often don't, we don't have spaces, right? Where we can just say what we really think and what we really feel and then sort of start working that through without being judged for it. Right, right, exactly. A big part of my work is doing that, creating that space for people. 
Okay, so you were in the classroom. Are you still currently in the classroom or are you transitioning away from teaching at this point? I love to teach. I can't tell you how much I love to teach. I actually just wrote a book proposal that's under review. That's a guide for educators. Oh, wow. I want to talk about race in the classroom. I truly, truly love teaching. But I did take last semester and this semester off in an effort to really focus in and get your brave box off the ground. But I hope to teach again in future semesters. And I'm in touch with a number of my students as well. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I'm a former classroom teacher. It's been many Mm -hmm. years since I was in the classroom. But I think that thing is always there where you're just like, whatever the context is, can I find a way to do some teaching? (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Yes, I get it. I totally understand that. Okay, so let's talk about your Brave Box, because this is you're sort of pivoting a little bit and taking this message that you have seen the need for as you are in the classroom and listening to people and then beginning to listen to what's going on in business culture and all of these things. Clearly, you saw the need and realized that you are a person who can step into this need with a message of, guys, we cannot pretend This isn't a problem anymore. (laughs) We have to do better with our conversations. That's what we're talking about so much this year on Sort of Awesome is how do we take the things that we actually believe in our hearts, believe in our minds, and how do we embody those things, live them out? And so I want to hear, tell me the story of kind of where the idea for your Brave Box Mm -hmm. came together, even just like the name. Mm -hmm. And then what, what are you moving forward with in terms of this new company? Yeah, I'm going to be really honest with you. It's been a real journey. And I'll just tell the story of sort of coming into it. So my students in the classroom, our relationship and our dynamic cued me in that there was something there because in the beginning, the students didn't believe it when I said that I don't have all the answers and I don't expect them to either. They really thought I was messing with them. And so that, I mean, very wisely on their part, they tested me, I'd say for a good few weeks. And eventually once they realized, okay, no, she's really serious about this. That was when they really started to open up and they started telling very personal stories about their lives and their perspective and how they've come to think things that they think and feel the things that they feel. And that really was when the true to me magic started happening in the classroom because that was when they started connecting with each other and with themselves and with me and things started falling away and we just became people together figuring out how to have this conversation. And so that experience that I've had That's what I am bringing to businesses and organizations, but it's within a different context. So frequently it's in the context of team building. So here we are, we're working together and there's just kind of this thing that's here and we can feel it and we can see it and it weighs us down and it messes with our productivity and our conversations, but we don't know what to do about it. And we don't want to say the wrong thing. We definitely don't want to make it worse. No one has ever taught us how to have this conversation. So we're just going to leave it be. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And it's like the elephant in the room. And so one of the things that I had written on my site and probably will be on the new one is stop letting the elephant mess with your mission. Mm. And so the approach that I take towards having this conversation, it's not a fix it approach for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't view myself as having some sort of special ability to somehow make this not be a problem. I don't see myself as being some sort of special human. I do think that I have the ability to help people connect. And when we're able to connect as human beings, as people, and when we're able to start with the human, mm-hmm. and that creates room for us to have conversations about difficult things that are grounded in reality. Yeah. But that still begin from that place of our shared humanity. Mm-hmm. So rather mm-hmm. than it being a matter of we're engaging in combat and I'm right, you're wrong, and this is what you need to fix and this is what you should do, it becomes much more of a conversation, which is really about connection. The name, Your Brave Box, <laughs> this is a very bizarre story, but I guess I'll tell it. I love it. The more bizarre, the better for me. So (laughs) no, I love a great story. I can't wait. It's really weird. (laughs) So it was last spring and I had been feeling for a while that I needed to do something and I wanted to do something business-wise and I wasn't sure what to do or how to go about doing it. And I signed up for B-School with Marie Forleo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's amazing. And I ended up doing the Start the Right Business program 
in our bedroom, our bed used to face sort of out towards our neighbor's house. And this is going to be very random. But there's a monkey hanging from our neighbor's tree. Very bizarre. The monkey appeared, I think, somewhere between November 2016 and the inauguration in 2017. Okay. <laughs> and just interesting, the fact that a random monkey appeared, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was actually facing that direction as I was thinking about everything and processing and trying to figure out how can I serve the world? Mm-hmm. What do I have? What do my life experiences uniquely position me to be able to do? And as I was facing that direction and processing everything that's, you know, been happening, I realized that I've been thinking about race and these issues since I was nine years old, mm. actually a little bit earlier, to be honest with you, because when I moved to the Caribbean, for me, that was my first experience being an outsider. And it was my first experience needing to learn how to connect when I didn't really know all the cultural nuances. I didn't know the ins and outs. And that is the experience that taught me how to listen. Mm, It taught me how to see people. It taught me how to lead with curiosity instead of judgment. And from that point on, I didn't realize it, but I mean, all the way through my childhood. And then when I was 16 and I moved back to the United States, there's a very different paradigm of race, depending on where you are geographically in the country. And just sort of being open to that and studying that and becoming aware of that and getting curious about it and connecting with all different types of people as I was going through that process. And then, you know, undergrad and then in grad school, I did independent studies, looking at the Supreme Court and higher education admissions and race. And then my clerkship and publishing and then teaching was sort of the thing that brought it all together. And in that moment, it was kind of like a light bulb moment, like I was sitting in my bed and it was a light bulb moment. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I can help people in organizations have conversations about race. Mm-hmm. And that was really just the beginning. Yeah. And I'm still honestly at the beginning because mm-hmm. this business is not about me. It's about serving the people and the organizations that want to feel more connection, mm-hmm. that want race not to be a barrier in how we talk and function and work and figuring out how to deliver that service and communicate what it is that I bring to the table has been a real challenge mm-hmm. because I don't swoop in and sort of say, here are the five things you need to do. Right. Not what right. I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's meeting you where you are and then getting you the tools you need as you walk through it so that race is not functioning as a barrier for you anymore. And your brave box, I think brave box is really what I wanted to do. And I think it's the concept of, you know, we put each other into boxes. Mm, Right. Oh, we all do. We all do. It's very human, I think, to do that. Yeah. It's like one of the first things we do. Like we see Mm -hmm. somebody, we do an assessment, we shove them in a box and we need a new box. We need a brave box. We need a box that we can stand up on and be brave. A box that doesn't contain us, a box that doesn't sort of pin us down and trap us and limit our ability to connect. We need just to be able to be free to be brave. So your brave box really isn't a box at all. It's just the platform and the container that you use to start practicing your brave. And this is one way that you can do that. I love that. I do think it takes courage to even begin the conversation. In fact, when you reached out to me to offer to come and talk to our community of listeners about race, You offered to come and talk about how to even talk to your girlfriends, how to chat with your girlfriends about race. I mean, we're very girlfriend chat oriented here Mm -hmm. on Sort of Awesome. Sometimes (laughs) it's lighthearted, fun conversation, but we are not afraid to dig into some real issues. I personally, and the reason I was so excited to get your email, Crystal, is I believe in my heart of hearts that white people need to have, first of all, have conversations about race because Mm -hmm. a lot of times when White people are talking to each other. We don't want to talk about that for the reasons you mentioned. Mm -hmm. We don't want to appear ignorant. We don't want to have that frozen in time moment. Mm -hmm. And we don't want people to be judging the things that come out of our mouth about Mm -hmm. race. And so a lot of times when white people are talking to each other, it's something we don't talk about. But even if we begin the conversation, sometimes we don't know how to have better conversations about race. I believe so strongly. I know that communities of color, of course, talk about race in lots of different contexts because Mm -hmm. of the reality of being a person of color. But 
for so long, those of us who are white have had the ability to just be like, I just don't like to talk about it. It's just very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I know that this is the time we have to have the courage to Mm -hmm. just even start a conversation. So as we move forward, and if we are the kind of people who are like, all right, this feels very uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but I do believe we got to talk about it. I would love to hear from you. What's the baseline where we can even kind of launch these conversations out into the world, especially with our girlfriends and our closest friendship relationships? Yes. You know, I have a response here. I'm going to tell you what's coming up for me. I hope that it meets the need that you're sharing with me. This is going to sound strange. It's a bit of a story. So I recently wrote a book. I've been sending it out to agents and it's called The Space Between Us. And it's a letter from a woman of color to women who are not. Mm. And I want to tell you how it sort of came about. Okay, yes. So for years, I've been circling this experience where I'll have conversations with people, all different kinds of people. But specifically, especially when I'm talking with white women, there's a guilt that becomes palpable. Mm. Right? So someone will find out what I do or what I teach or just connecting as friends and the conversation drifts and race comes up. And then there's this thing that all of a sudden is just present Mm -hmm. and palpable. And it took me years and years and years of circling it before I realized that it was guilt. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks ago, I do community classes here and I was doing one and there were two moms that were there and I've since had tea with this mom and we're friends and I've asked her permission to share this story. And one was Latinas and one was white and I happened to be black. And we were talking and I did something I don't normally do because everything I do is very sort of question-based and conversational, but I asked, are there any specific things that you want to talk about? And this one specific mom was telling a story about how her daughter had made friends with a girl in school who was black. They're both in elementary school. And she was just having the hardest time that she felt trying to connect with the mom. And she just couldn't understand why she just couldn't figure out how to make this connection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she was talking about, you know, socioeconomic disparities and history and so many things that play into differential outcomes. And it was palpable. I could feel the guilt in the room. And we continued our conversation and we connected and we talked about strategies for coping and everything. And both moms connected and all three of us are getting together soon. But I was disturbed. There was something in me Mm -hmm. that was disrupted. And I left thinking, am I even capable of doing this? Maybe I'm in the wrong profession. Maybe I'm just fooling myself. Maybe I'm not even cut out to do this. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It was like an entire existential crisis. And I took me a couple of days and wanting to be like, I don't even want to do this anymore. It's too hard. I don't want to figure this out. And I realized a couple of things. The first thing that I realized, thank God for helping me, is one, I need to let myself be seen which means that I need to be willing to talk about what this feels like, not just about the statistics and the numbers and the data and the outcome. All of those are important, vital, and completely essential, but what it feels like. And number two, the thing that I'd run into was the space between us. I just ran smack into it, like right in between my eyes. So I'd been circling this guilt for years, and that night I just ran smack into it. So on the one hand, there are these wonderful human beings who are becoming increasingly aware of race and the very challenging and painful and agonizing life experiences that people are having every single day because of race. And as that awareness is increasing, people are like, what in the literal heck? How could I have missed this? Yes. How could this have been the reality for millions of people, people right around me that I see every day and I missed this. I, I cannot believe it. Spot and on. this sense of just like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end is the person of color. And the mm-hmm. person of color is living with this pain every day. So yes. I'm speak as me right now. So there's me, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I live with this pain every day. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to make it, yes. right? I don't want to have to unpack this. I don't want to have to explain what this feels like. This is agonizing for me. I'm sorry. I love you, but I can't. I just Mm. can't. Mm -hmm. And so then there we are Mm -hmm. right beside each other. And there's just this space that exists between us. And we can be the best of friends. I mean, we can be extremely close doing life together, but the space is just there. Space is there because somehow we haven't quite figured out 
how to share what this feels like. It's feeling that lets mm-hmm. us cross the space. And so that's what birthed the space between us. That's what birthed the book and writing this letter because I happen to live in the space. It was not because of me, it's because of God. I take no credit for it. It's just simply the sequence of my life events that has led me to live in the space. And for me, it's not about a bridge. It's not about building a bridge over it. That to me, that's not what this is about. This is about learning how to walk through it together. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let's walk through it together. Let's talk about how this feels together. Mm. How does this feel for you? What is this like for you to feel blindsided by realizing this? And then what has it been like for me living with this every single day of my life? What is it like for me that I've reproduced and I have two tiny humans that I'm guiding through the world? What is that like? And so my answer, and I know it was a very long answer, but my answer to your question is going to sound strange, but it's to begin with feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Because so yeah. many times when we sit down to have conversations about race, we tie up big macro and sociopolitical issues with the personal, right? So Absolutely. we'll sit down, talk yeah. about, but we sit down and we're talking about the latest headline that's in the times. We're talking about, you know, I don't know, a controversial court case. We're talking about a police shooting. We're talking about educational zoning, redlining, redistricting, gerrymandering. And those are things that we have to talk about. Absolutely. We must talk about those things. But often when we sit down to have a conversation specifically about race, what we really want to talk about is how race makes us feel. But we don't have that language. Exactly. No one has showed us how to do that. And so we approach the conversation with the broader macro sociopolitical issues and then we sit there just sort of triggering one another. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're sitting there and I'm talking about my view and you're talking about your view. And what we really want to say to each other is this hurts. That's really what we want to say. This yeah. hurt. This is distressing me. I don't know how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And it's really bothering me mm-hmm. that I don't know how to deal with this. And I don't feel like I have the tools to cope. Mm-hmm. And here's how this is affecting my every day. This is bothering me. When I go to the store, there's literally no escaping this. Like it disturbs me to my core. I don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to say to one another. Or we want to say, I really did not know. And I feel ridiculous for not knowing. I'm Mm. so sorry. I cannot believe that I missed this, but help me. I want to understand what am I missing? Tell me what I don't know. And so beginning with feelings. It's hard and it's uncomfortable and it's vulnerable, but one way to work our way up to leading with beginning with feeling is by listening. Absolutely. Yes. So when we start a conversation, whether it's between a person of color and a person who is not, or between two people who are of the same race, if we choose to lead with listening, we're carving out space instead of erecting barriers. That means that you and I sit down to talk and instead of launching in with my assumptions about what I think you think and you launching with your assumptions about what you think I think, (laughs) instead of doing that, we ask a question and then we actually listen to what the person is saying. So like the actual words that are coming out of the actual person's mouth, meaning to those words, being in the moment. And when we don't understand asking another question, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand what you mean when you say X, what do you mean? Or mm-hmm. I understand that that's what you think. Why do you think that? How do you feel about that? Why do you feel that way? And not in like an accusatory way, like you're wrong for what you think or what you feel. Right. Yes. From a place, genuine curiosity, exactly. genuine interest and connection. Awesomes, you know that a healthy lifestyle will always require some commitment. You have to make time for exercise. You have to make time to de-stress. And of course, you have to make time to eat right. That's why we love getting a meal kit delivery from Sunbasket. With Sunbasket, it's easier to lead a healthy lifestyle because you've got your healthy, delicious meals covered. Sunbasket delivers meal prep kits right to your door, making healthy cooking easy and convenient for any busy lifestyle. Sunbasket makes it so easy to cook healthy, delicious, 
delicious meals at home, whether you're a total newbie in the kitchen or an old pro, and now you get more options than ever. Just go to the SunBasket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes. We love how easily we can cook dishes like seared albacore tuna steaks with green beans and soft-cooked eggs, or steaks with chimichurri and harissa roasted sweet potatoes. There are paleo options, gluten-free, lean and clean, vegan options, Mediterranean, we love their family options, and Sunbasket always works with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh, organic produce, and responsibly raised meats and seafood. So go to sunbasket.com slash sorta today to learn more and to get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash sorta for $35 off sunbasket.com slash sorta. Thank you, Sunbasket. Well, awesomes, it is springtime in Oklahoma, and you better believe I have seasonal allergies on the brain and in my lungs and my nose, and these disruptions to daily life from junk in the air is no fun. That's why I'm so happy that this episode of Sorta Awesome is sponsored by Molecule. Molecule is a complete reinvention of the air purifier, not just an improvement on existing outdated technology. Molecule introduces a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecule's technology goes beyond HEPA filtration to not just capture, but completely destroy the full spectrum of indoor air pollutants. Molecule makes a meaningful impact for asthma and allergy sufferers. In a study of 49 allergy sufferers presented at the American College of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology, Molecule's technology provided dramatic, statistically significant, sustained symptom reduction within a week of use. One customer even said she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule's technology has been effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has already helped allergy and asthma sufferers around the country better cope with their conditions by significantly reducing their symptoms. To check out Molecule for yourself and your family, go to Molecule.com and enter code AWESOME at checkout. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter promo code AWESOME at checkout for $75 off your first order. Thank you, Molecule. Exactly. I have a dear friend, Amber Haynes, who is a writer and speaker, and recently I learned from her, and I'm sure lots of people are familiar with this terminology, the practice of compassionate curiosity. Mm. It really reflects what you're saying to ask those questions when you don't understand, but not in an unbelieving way. Sometimes I feel like we are fearful that if we ask questions that we're indicating, I don't believe what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But when we practice it with compassion Mm -hmm. and there's that authentic listening, like you're talking about going on, then that gives us a little bit more freedom. We can kind of shake loose of our fear a little bit and have a little more freedom to ask those follow-up questions from Mm -hmm. a place of compassion and genuine interest and not in a, you're going to have to prove what you just said kind of way, or, you know, I don't believe you. So you're going to have to tell me another story about this. No, it doesn't in the context, especially the context of relationship an already Mm -hmm. formed relationship, I think is some of the best context to do this. It's so much better than like on social media or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or even with someone you just met, I think too, Crystal. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but I almost feel like this is best in the context of relationship because we, there's a sense, especially if you're talking with a person of a different race, you kind of want to be able to have permission to even start to mm-hmm. have these conversations. It mm-hmm. feels, especially from what I've heard from you, from other women of color, oh, gosh, how traumatizing to mm-hmm. have somebody that you're just, you're sort of passing the hallway at preschool drop-off friends. Mm-hmm. And then they want to pull you aside and be like, tell me all about this thing. Yeah. So we need to yeah. have some self-awareness <laughs> as yeah. we go into these conversations, yeah. but then be prepared to do some authentic listening as these conversations yes. do unfold. Okay. So that's wonderful. I love that because I think that genuine conversation is an opportunity for discovery. Mm. That, that's what genuine conversation is. So even if we disagree the disagreement does not have to cut off the opportunity that we have to discover. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that as we're discovering, we're not just discovering about each other, we're discovering about ourselves. Yeah. So on this particular topic of race, it's really, really difficult 
to create connection if there's no room for discovery and conversation because often we don't even know what we really think until we say it out loud. So true. That happens to me every single day. I'll be talking to a friend or my husband or whatever, and I'll say something. I'll be like, oh, I didn't know I thought that. I didn't know I believed mm-hmm. that. And then it's coming mm-hmm. out, and then there it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And there it is in the yeah. world. And so when it comes to race, part of the reason why I think so many of us have stopped talking or we only talk with people who we think think the same things as us is because we're afraid of that process. Mm. What happens if something comes out and that might not actually be what we really think? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or we realize, well, that's what I think and I don't think that's what I want to think. Mm. Or we're on a journey and we realize, you know, I think this right now, but I didn't think this last year or the year before or five years before, you know? So I think that letting conversation be a space for discovery is very, very different from conversations that are combat where we're leading with trying to prove something about who we are. And I wrote a blog post about that, and I'll repost that on the news site, but conversation is not combat. Mm. Those two things are not the same thing. You know, conversation is the opportunity for discovery and connection. It's not a war. And so that applies too when it comes to race. Mm -hmm. Now, you touched on something that makes a lot of sense. And it makes me think about Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. Yes. I love Brene Brown to my soul. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. God bless Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And without Brene Brown, I don't know that I honestly would have had the courage to continue on the journey that led me here because I used to think I was crazy because I thought maybe I'm crazy for thinking connection really matters all that much. And then she stood on that stage and did that mm-hmm. TED talk about the power of vulnerability and she lived it out in front of my eyes and she gave me courage and power to do the same for myself. And so I really am so grateful for her. And one of the things that she talks about is intimacy. And, you know, I do believe that intimacy is a privilege. It's not a right. Mm, Yes. So when you talk about that scenario of walking down the hall and you're just sort of pulling someone to the side, one of the things that you want to think about if you want to have a conversation about race is number one, what is your goal? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you want to think about that before it begins. So let's say it's a holiday and family is getting together and you're terrified about race coming mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that you can cope with that is asking yourself, what goal do I have heading into this event? That's so good. Yeah. Right. So you, you want to ask yourself this question. Mm-hmm. Townsend and Cloud have a book called Boundaries. They're amazing. And Jen Hatmaker interviewed them. And if this resonates with you, you might want to listen to that episode because that concept of knowing what your boundaries are is crucial. But in the context of race, you want to know before it comes up, What's my goal? Is my goal to try to convert my family members in one fell swoop? <laughs> in one short, <laughs> precise conversation. Yes. <laughs> in the next 24 hours yeah. <laughs> to think the way that I think about race. Is that my goal? Now you can set that goal. It is a valid goal. You can have that goal. But if you have that goal, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to pay the price for that goal? Right. Right. So if you're not willing to pay the price for that goal, then you may want to reevaluate the goal that you're setting. Mm -hmm. Maybe your goal is, let's say, I don't know, somebody says something heinous and your face is about to fall off. You cannot believe what they just said. You still have the ability to ask yourself, okay, deep breath, number one. Mm -hmm. What's my goal here? Number two. Number three. Would I like to invite additional connection on this so we can have an actual conversation? So what might that look like? Someone says something heinous, table is exploding. Instead of jumping in, what you might choose to do is quietly go to this person and say, would you like to come have coffee with me tomorrow? I really would like to understand a bit more about where you're coming from. That's a very, very different thing from launching in and saying, you're wrong. I can't believe you think that. What is wrong with you? And then everyone leaves and everything is broken and nothing has changed. And even worse, the opportunity to generate ongoing conversation that might lead to that speaking the words out into the world, which would then let that person know, oh, well, this is what I think. Is that what I want to think? Might I want to think something different? Do I want to change? We cut off that whole process when we lead in with shame. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So knowing that goal, it's just such a really useful, I find, 
rule of thumb in any conversation that you're entering into, but especially when you're talking about race. So if there is a mom at school and you want to connect with her, you've got to ask yourself, what's my goal? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is my goal to make this mom feel as if she's supposed to explain the entire race that she belongs to, to me, right? Whatever her background might be. Is that my goal? Is that a goal that I want to set? Okay. If not, if that's not a goal that you want to set, then what might be your goal? Maybe you set a goal of, you know what? I think I'd like to form a real connection with her. I'm just curious. I just want to get to know her a bit. Yeah. So if that's the case, then instead of in that moment pulling her aside and saying, so will you explain race to me? <laughs> or, or, or what do you think about, you know, what so-and-so did the other right, day? Right, right, right. Instead of leading with that, Maybe you lead with how you would talk to a girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. And you say, hey, you want to grab a cup of tea? You know, there's a great chocolate place. I've been wanting to try it. Would you like to go get some chocolate with mm-hmm. me? Or maybe this mom likes to dance or, you know, do yoga or go for walks or whatever else it might be. Or go see a play or a movie. And instead of sort of launching in with, okay, I don't know about race. I need to ask somebody about race right now. Right. Instead of letting... <laughs> Instead of letting that be the goal that you lead with, sort of leading in with connection. Exactly. And that connection can hopefully facilitate a relationship that will lead to your being able to have those deeper type of conversations. And even then, you want to consider what the goal is because people can feel that, right? Right. We all can feel it, right? So if I'm talking to you and I'm just sort of this is going to sound awful, but I'm trying to be as real and helpful as mm-hmm. I can. If I'm just sort of like using you to meet my ends, mm-hmm. you will feel that. Yes. Right? Yes. I don't have to say these words to you. You will know that I am not actually interested in you as a human being. Yes. I am interested in you for what you will give to me. It's so and true. that doesn't feel good. Right? So yeah. that goal is a helpful rule of thumb. Sometimes we can have good intentions. It's a good intention to want to... Yeah correct our ignorance to learn more but sometimes we can let those good intentions lead us to the path of wrong execution which is you know and again I don't want to say that in a shameful way but I love what you're saying is just like thinking about it before you take action think about what is the end goal here mm-hmm. I do want to just follow up with a question to what you just said I wonder to you know you're talking about kind of like being used to sort of meet a goal here. But I do wonder if in our current cultural climate, if we who are white might be aware of the fact that women of color, people of color, but especially because we're all girlfriends here. So as we approach women of color, that there may be an extra level of sensitivity there and that our first Mm -hmm attempt at connection may not be received well. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can mm-hmm. kind of judge for, I mean, every situation would be different, of course, but mm-hmm. to just remember that we may be coming from a place of discovery, but we may be talking to people who are coming from a place yeah. of deep hurt. And what's the word I'm looking for? Not just hurt, but also skepticism in forming these new connections with people mm-hmm. outside of their own race. So I just wonder, that just came to mind as I was like envisioning this scenario happening with reaching out to a mom at school, which I think, honestly, I think if you're in a diverse community where there's lots of different races represented, that's fantastic. And that can be a great context Mm -hmm. for forming these new relationships, but that we should just kind of, again, have some self-awareness as we begin to take the initiative and reach out. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's such a valid question and a valid concern. And I have to tell you that I can only speak for myself sure, of here. Of course, of course. And the responses that I will give. And there are a couple of things that are coming to me. So I'll share for me. So I happen to have a lot of different types of friends. And I've wondered sometimes about why that is. Mm-hmm. Because I realize that that can be kind of weird and unusual. And I thought a lot about it. And I think. Part of what happened with me is that very early on, I decided that I wanted to lead with seeing people as human first. Yeah. And I know that that sounds very simple. And maybe it is for some people. But for me, it's been an exercise in choice. Because I receive all the messaging that society gives me about 
who I'm supposed to socialize with or who I'm expected to socialize with and who I'm expected to be friends with. But for me, leading with the human first means that I go first for character. Mm, Yeah. And that means that I'm open to connecting with many different types of people Mm -hmm. because I'm looking for connection. I'm looking for laughter. I'm looking for that heart tug. I'm looking for safe places and spaces to share. And so that might sound overly simplistic, but I think it's really had a very big impact on my life because it's made me less willing to categorize people by the packages that they happen to be in and more willing to be curious about their humanity and who they are. Cross-racial relationships, I realize, are very stressful for a lot of people. And I think a lot of it is fear of the unknown. Sure, yeah. Not knowing how to build the relationship, wondering if you'll have things in common, all of the normal fears. And so what I will say to that is that if you're afraid, then the person that you're reaching out to is probably afraid too. Mm. Sometimes we forget that, right? Yeah. So I often, you know, my students or my clients, I'll have to share with them every single time I talk about race, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have never had a comfortable conversation about race. Never have I walked away from a conversation about race thinking, oh my gosh, that was just like a Mai Tai. Like that has <laughs> never, <laughs> that has never happened to Right, me. right, right. And I suspect never will happen. Yeah. What has happened is that the more that I talk about it is the more I've learned how to sit with the feelings that I have as I have the conversation. So that's what's happened. Yeah. Is that I've grown in my level of comfort with sitting with being uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this this entire thing is uncomfortable. I mean, it's bizarre if you think about it. Why in the world are we judging each other based on the amount of melanin that we have in our skin? It's a very, very bizarre thing that we're happening. That's happening. And all of the historical and political and socioeconomic and educational and financial and outcomes and I mean, the amount of things that are connected to this, it's profoundly distressing. And so I found that the best way to begin is by letting it be personal. Definitely. Definitely. Let it be personal. Yeah. So almost the exact opposite of the way we're trained, right? right. We're trained to say it's, it's not personal. Nothing's personal. Yes, it is. Yes. It's personal. Let it be personal. Let's begin there. And if we begin there, there's some people that you click with and some people you don't. Yep. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes there are other things that are at play. Yes. Racism is real. Discrimination is real bias is real. It's all real. Mm -hmm. It's very real. But when you and I are sitting down, we have a choice that we get to make. Even in this moment, as we're having this conversation, we get to make a choice about whether or not we're going to connect or whether we're going to kind of sit back and judge and evaluate one another. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to make that choice. Yeah. There is one other piece that I will share, and it may not be a popular piece, but it's the truth of how I feel. And so I'm going to share it. I experience every single day just about being put in my place mm-hmm. and it often has to do with my race mm-hmm. and often has to do with being black and female it's quite a interesting position yes. to be in it does not feel good it disturbs me to my core it breaks my heart there are moments when it comes close to shattering my being and very nearly breaking my will it is an agonizing experience to endure I have no desire to ever impose it on someone else. So I believe that pain is the gift of connection in disguise. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes it's a gift I would rather not have. <laughs> Sometimes I would rather not have the pain. But I believe that pain is the gift of connection in disguise, which means that when you and I sit down to have this conversation, I don't want to talk down to you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put you in your place and educate you on everything that you should know that you didn't know. That's not my desire. I believe that if we're really going to have this conversation and move forward together, if we're going to be able to cross that space between us and connect, we have to do it together. Absolutely. Which means that we're doing it side by side. Yeah. And so that's the approach that I take to it. And that doesn't change the degree of my pain. It doesn't alter my agony. It doesn't 
changed realities that I face every single day of my life. But I still have a choice about who I get to be as a human being. And I want to be the human being, the kind of human being that treats you as equal with me, even if the world does not give that to me all the time. And so that's the second piece of what you mentioned. And that's my response to it. That is so powerful. Crystal, thank you for sharing with such just honesty and openness and authenticity. This is a beautiful and powerful model of what these conversations can look like. And I appreciate that so much. And I kind of want to circle back a little ways back too, Mm -hmm. because you talked about as you were getting ready to launch your Brave Box and you were coming up against this resistance. Should I do this? I don't actually want to do this. This is hard. Should I do it? I hear in your words and in that, in your questions, I hear you bumping right into resistance, like capital R, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. big, not just like a little (laughs) friction, but like big resistance. Mm -hmm. And one of our awesomes actually reminded me of this in our Facebook community this week, actually. So it's fresh on my mind because I'm familiar Mm -hmm. with the battles of resistance that, you know, all of us have them. (laughs) They look different in different contexts, but we all have them. She reminded me that the resistance is the strongest when you're the closest to what it is you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I just want to affirm, I have no doubt in my mind, you are the person to bring this message of discussing race. You're not out there like, I have all the answers let's start some conversations about race and let's do it from a place of connection. I have no doubt you're exactly the person to take this message, this paradigm shift into corporate culture, which bless your heart. And thankfully somebody is. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine trying to go into corporate culture and change anything. (laughs) But, But into corporate culture, into community culture, into church culture, into the culture of friendship and relationship. I mean, for such a time as this, you have the message and I have no doubt that you are the message bringer for this. And I'm just, gosh, I'm just sitting here so grateful and so humbled and so honored that you had time to come and bring the message of how to even start these conversations to our awesome listening community. All right, awesomes. Thank you so much for listening today. Like I said, at the top of this episode, you can now find Crystal at crystalcobran.com. That's K-R-Y-S-T-L-E-C-O-B-R-A-N.com. And if you'd like to hear the voices of a few other awesomes who are talking about race right now, I'd encourage you to check out Currently Reading Podcast. You all know Currently Reading was started by two awesomes, Meredith Schwartz and Katie Cobb. On June 5th, Currently reading dropped an episode called Minisode, Getting Started as a White Ally with Anna Hithersay. Anna is also a podcast host and an awesome. On 10 Things to Tell You, our sort of awesome alum, Laura Tremaine, just dropped a new episode called Hometown, a conversation about race with Latoya Brown, Monica Pickens, and Danielle Williams. In that episode, Laura visits with ladies from our hometown about their experiences growing up as Black women in our shared small town in Oklahoma. And speaking of Laura, don't forget that you can go over to Smartest Person in the Room podcast, the podcast that I help Laura produce, and find her series on racial bias. It's an incredibly powerful series and definitely worth the re-listen. We know this is a difficult conversation, and we're thankful that you're trusting us to talk about it with you. Don't forget that you can find all things Sorta Awesome on social media at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram or at Facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.